Welcome to the Agency Blueprint Podcast, the show for agency owners looking to discover strategies for scaling a truly profitable agency, reducing stress, and getting your personal life back. I'm Robert Patton, international best-selling author, business coach, and contract CFO for creative agencies. Really quick before we jump into the show today, I have a gift for you. If you're an agency owner and you want to know how to structure your lead gen, sales, and operations in a simple, streamlined manner that is less headache and way more profitable, then I want to give you my latest book called The Agency Blueprint. It's free for you when you go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash ebook. If you're not happy with your agency performance, then this book is for you. You can also grab the link for the book in today's show notes. Thanks. And now for the show. Hey everyone, today we have Dan Hills. He is an agency owner and a member of the Agency Blueprint Mastermind program. In this episode today, we're going to be going through a live consulting session with all of you today. He has two items that he's looking to solve in his agency, and we're going to carve a pathway forward together for him live in this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Uh, yeah, no problem. So to start us off and just introduce you to the audience, if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about you and what your agency does and sort of where you are in your life cycle of your agency. Sure. Yeah, I'm Dan. I run a creative agency based in Norwich in England. And yeah, our agency is primarily kind of web design and development for, at the moment, quite a wide range of industries, currently looking to develop. And we've got a small team of four of us, so kind of two designers and a developer and myself. We've got quite a wide client base, quite a varied client base. And so, yeah, we've been kind of working with yourself on how we can kind of give ourselves a bit more direction and develop <laughs> in different ways. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much for that background. I know that you were preparing two questions that you wanted to go through. So if you wouldn't mind hitting me with sort of the first thing that you're looking to solve today, and we can go through that and explore that together. Yeah. So we provide web design and development services. And so these projects typically last kind of three to four months and sometimes longer if they're larger projects. And so what I struggle with is allocating the team resource to the different stages of those projects. So at the start of a project would typically plan this out perfectly so the design stages are all booked in development stages are booked in everything's going to fit perfectly we give the client a gantt chart showing this is the project this is how it's going to span these are our tasks these are your tasks and then what typically happens is one of those stages will need longer often it's a client stage feedback on design is a big one uh, project we're running with at the moment the client has spent probably an extra month on feedback because they've had a holiday that they didn't tell us about and it's Thanksgiving and things like that and they had took some time off. And so that's pushed projects back. But then what's happened is now we're at a point where we've got two projects running simultaneously and we're going to hit development bottleneck. And so we've got to now decide, okay, we either have to pull in external resources to get these projects over the line in the timeframes we've agreed on our side, of course, or we'd have to push the project back two, three months, mm. which... It's quite a big hit for the client to take. Yeah, I wouldn't make the client happy. So from what I'm hearing, right, is that your projects don't go exactly to plan, right? As much as we want them to and create the ideal world, it doesn't really work out that way. Sure. And then obviously a project that is $100,000 worth of revenue in a three-month period of time is not the same thing as $100,000 worth of revenue over a 10-month period of time. So what your expectation is, isn't going to end up working out, penciling out financially. Mm. And then... You've got overwhelm for the team because there's too much work in a given moment. 
And then now you're going to have to spend more externally probably in order to be able to manage it. That sort of surmise where you are? Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. So typically speaking, is the vast majority of the issue that you're facing, is there internal bottlenecks as well? Or is it primarily just external communication, time for client feedback, that type of thing that's going on? It's a little bit of both, but I think primarily it's, it's client feedback time. We allocate clients, okay. say, a week to feedback on some design concepts, for example. And some will come back instantly and some will come back after two weeks. And it's the gradual erosion of the schedule by a day here, two days here, I think is the main culprit for that. So there's, for the client side, and I think we should have conversations about client communication and then a conversation about internal communication because there are different issues that need to be dealt with differently. So there's a couple of ways that we can deal with the client piece. The first piece that I would suggest that we look at is just setting the expectation with the client on what we expect to have from the timeline of approvals and timeline of communication. And we can even dive further down in that, but making sure at the start while we're having the initial scope conversation is that within a 48, 72, or one week timeline that we expect to have an approval. And if you don't meet this specific timeline, then there's additional fees for every week that we don't get the approval or we don't get the feedback in the appropriate timeline. One of the ways that I've seen this just implemented flawlessly and just perfectly, but it does create some risk for you, but pretty much eliminates the client not giving the feedback in time is offering them a guarantee that the project will be done by mm -hmm. the deadline and saying to them, so if we don't meet the deadline, we're going to give you a 50% discount on our fees. But if you don't meet the approval timeline with us, there's going to be a 50% fee on our fees on the delay being as a result of your delay in response. So that gives them a very clear understanding of what the expectation is and when you give them that penalty, they're going to avoid it. So it's both pieces. If they extend, then you're still able to have the additional revenue. You're able to pay for the additional resources should you need it and be able to manage it that way. Would love to hear your thoughts on either of those. If you see either of those being an issue, and then I was going to give you one more potential option as well. That's definitely an interesting approach. I wonder how some of our clients would maybe take the extra risk if they're allocating budgets. Yeah, that is a really interesting approach. Very curious to try that in certain clients. And it's all the way that you position it, right? It's like we know and our process works so well that we are sure about our timeline and going through design and development. And we know how important it is to you to have your site up and running at the timeline that you need it. And because of that, we have created a guarantee that allows for you to do that. And obviously, this is a partnership for us to work together and help you launch your site and get it working the way that you're looking for, driving the results that you're looking for. And because it's a partnership, this is how we've structured the guarantee. We guarantee that your project is going to be done on time. And if not, we give you a 50% discount. But our expectation on the partnership is that you provide us feedback within 72 hours at every single stage of the communication process that we will outline very clearly at the start of the project, what the expectations and timelines are. If those aren't met, there is a fee of 50% of the cost if we're not able to meet the deadline because of the delay of your feedback. And it's very easily laying it out for them. And it's not like a threatening thing, but showing them and setting the expectation. And I guess if we took that approach, we've got then a slightly heightened risk on our side, but then it's even, I guess we would want to build that into our own schedules as well. I mean, we try and be quite generous, but I do, I'm conscious that sometimes we are a little bit overambitious with our own scheduling. <laughs> 
because it's, I guess, in the nature of, of all of us to think we can do things perfectly every time. <laughs> and, and things that do go <laughs> sure. wrong, especially with web development, things take, you know, longer. You mean you can't guarantee when a great idea is just going to pop out of your head? That's not how creativity works? Yeah, yeah, because that's what I'd say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other one that you can do that works very well when it comes to design and development as well, and the method that I've put together with a client is doing it on a sprint pricing model. So rather than on a project cost, it's just we charge every two weeks. So if the project delays, they know exactly what the cost is going to be until it's actually completed. Should they pause the project for whatever reason internally, then you know that it's going to be paused for a specific period of time, then it auto starts. You have the resources that are allocated for it. You know exactly what it's going to look like. This can be a bit of a harder thing to sell. And the first one is going to be a bit easier for you to start. But this also works very well, ensuring the revenue, ensuring that you have that timeline actually built out. You set the expectations the same at the start of this is what we need for communication and everything. But if they delay a week, then they lost a week Mm -hmm. of of a sprint, half of the sprint cost. Yeah, that'd be interesting to explore. You know, I guess related to that, one of the things I manage a lot is when we have other clients bringing in kind of important or or urgent tasks throughout our work calendar. So we'll have, I guess, the odd curveball come in from from our existing clients who need something, you know, they request something quite urgently. And if we're in the middle of quite a big project, we're pushing them back, you know, a month or two. What I've been trying to do is keep certain amount of time free and a bit of spare capacity within each of the team members so that when occasional ad hoc projects come in, we can kind of make that time up without putting too much strain on project scheduling. Mm-hmm. But then our utilization rate isn't great because we're like, oh, I'm keeping lots of spare capacity. And if we don't then need it, we've got empty time in the studio. So. Yeah. I mean, utilization is a huge thing, right, for this industry in every service vertical. Mm-hmm. What I would say that you want to be looking at is, realistically speaking, any team member that is over 80% utilized, you're not going to have any capacity for anything. And that's sort of like the barometer of burnout. When you have a team member at 80% utilization or more on a consistent basis, they are going to get to burnout. And my suggestion is always to be between 60, 75% ideally in the utilization rate. So you always have that additional capacity. But while you're going through and pricing, you're actually pricing based on that utilization rate. So your pricing is going to allow for you to have that in your project costs, in your ongoing retainers. You actually have that amount of utilization constantly planned in. So it's not like you're losing revenue with that underutilized time necessarily, but it's allowing for your team to have the space, focus more on value, focus more on the clients that they have at task rather than just needing to get it done on that dot on that specific timeline. Well, you still want them to get it done on timeline, but not but just focused on that specific hour that they have to get it done and making sure that you have the capacity. So it's really going to stem from pricing and how you go through and build your pricing model and utilizing, as you know, in the program, I've got a template specifically for how to build out your pricing. So I would utilize that with every project and know exactly what percentage of time this person actually has to this project and always consider that underutilized time that you will have. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Just quickly wanted to hit on internal communication things that you really want to make sure that you have buttoned up and we can talk a little bit more about this. But some of the things that you really want to focus on for internal communication is a very clear, defined, creative brief that has all the information that is needed for every person across your team so that every team member has 100% of the information 100% of the time. And that having 
the essentially one one of the things that I see, especially when it comes to web design projects, is that you will have the designer in the meeting with the client, but then the developer wasn't there, and then you end up sending it to development, and then there's all of the translation of the information from the designer doesn't get to the developer, and then things have to go through multiple iterations of change because they weren't in the actual meetings. So making sure that at each different stage of client communication and internal communication that you have the right people there or that you record the meeting so that if the person isn't there, they can actually get caught up fully in what's happening. And one easy sort of just hack that you can utilize so that they don't have to watch an hour long meeting is utilizing like Otter or a transcription service to transcribe those videos and that audio file into something that you can utilize in sort of meeting notes afterwards so you can highlight the pieces that are really important from that meeting. Yeah, it's a really, really good chat because I'm often reluctant to, I don't know, bring a designer and a developer in to a client meeting with me. So there's three of us, you know, sat there for, you know, an hour or so with a client while they're talking through some detailed aspect of the brief or something. And yeah. Although that's useful probably for them in terms of... Utilization. Utilization. And cost for you. We're going to burn through <laughs> that very quickly. Yeah. A one hour meeting just became three because you had three people in it. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, uh, you know, at the moment I'm, I'm working on trying to really define that process in much more detail. Like we've got that kind of fleshed out and we're working out what stages, you know, design and development need to sit down and talk about things so that we are ironing out potential development issues at the design stage before it goes to client and that kind of thing to try and smooth mm-hmm. some of those bumps on our side where a developer will come back and say, okay, yeah, that's great, but this is going to take X number of more days to develop because you've put the logo in this kind of strange shape, right? And you've got it floating here and it's moving around to this bad example, but yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, what I would look at, right. And each time you have these types of situations happen, you're going to learn every single iteration of a project. And every time that that thing tends to come up, you want to look at, so what should I change in the SOP? So even before we're going to send and show the client what we're looking to accomplish or the client's looking for us to do something of animation, micro animations or any type of animations for the developer, that we have to make sure that we speak with them before we actually give the client, yes, we can do this. It can still actually be done in timeline. So we're not over committing to something that we shouldn't be. And just making sure that the team members that have to provide feedback at that communication point actually provide the feedback that they should be. Mm, that's really good. All right. I know that you had two things that you wanted to cover today. So what was the second item that you wanted to chat about? Yeah. And it, it kind of leads on in a way, you know, we're talking about our projects and the work we do is bespoke for each client in the sense that you know, every client brief is unique, but different clients will need different functionality on the development side. Of course, that design is, is unique, but we can scope that fairly well. But on a technical side, on the development side, clients will need different integrations possibly, or they'll need to build specific features for the site that we need to spend quite a lot of time in scoping. And I'm writing out proposals for these clients, and it's taking quite a lot of time because we're having to essentially scope those areas and work out, okay, well, how much resource will that take? And then obviously how we price that is kind of related to that, but it's a lengthy process. And sometimes I'll get three or four leads in a week and I've got, you know, some complex sites to spec up. Our developers are really busy with with other projects that we've got booked in. And, And, you know, I need to probably spend half a day or a day sitting down with them and going through, okay, well, what are we actually looking at with this feature or this feature? in order for us to get those proposals accurate and really comprehensive. Because, you know, we want to make sure we've covered everything in a watertight spec for the client so that they don't come back and say, oh, what about this? What about that? 
I think we do well with that, but it's just the time involved with that is pretty long. And you don't want to spend 30% of your time preparing proposals every week? Not really, no. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. All right. So I have one just fully understanding the question, right? So my assumption when you're talking about different integrations, it's going to be, hey, their CRM or their fulfillment center, if it's an e-commerce site, like that's what you're talking about, right? Is the different industries are having different types of integrations. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... This is going to pull back to the conversation we've been having ongoing together in the niche conversation. The more specialized you are, the easier that this is going to be for you. So if we were to select e-commerce, for example, we're going to have a select number of different integrations that we're going to have to work with on an ongoing basis. And we have an understanding of, hey, these are the integrations that we work with. And you should have that list, right? Because any type of integration you're going to have to build into the site you're going to have learning curve with that. And some of it's going to be unknown. You may not be aware here. There's this particular kink about it and having hey, these are the integrations that we work with. And ideally, one that's going to allow for plugins with other types of software as well. That's going to allow for the information to transfer from one service platform to another that allows for you to, hey, we're going to build it based on this particular integration. And then it'll speak with X, Y, Z different platforms that you're using. But if you were to choose and as we're talking about choosing e-commerce as and a specific sub niche of e-commerce platforms and consumer goods that we would have a limited amount of different types of integrations that we would have to be utilizing i want to open that up for your thoughts concerns around that i'm sure that that brings up a a couple questions and thoughts on it as well yeah i mean from experience even within the uh, kind of e-commerce client list you know we've got such a wide variety of integrations as an example to cover mm-hmm. i mean there's a core set that we we use and we can reuse those but there's there's always the bespoke one or like we've got our bespoke in-house <laughs> kind of crm or, or inventory management system or which was built in 1990 and <laughs> we, we're still using you know I mean, that's rare, but it, it does happen. And other examples would maybe be of more complex products that, you know, configurable. So they need some kind of calculation involved to work out, okay, so you're building this product, whatever it is, and you need to calculate the price based on a number of criteria. And, you know, we're going to have to scope that whole process from start to finish and work out how complex that process is, what the actual calculation is, right, to, to work out the end sum. Those are those areas yeah. that I find that, in e-commerce specifically can be quite hard to scope and sometimes we get them wrong and sometimes we're, we're okay but yeah yeah right on the money yeah well i mean my recommendation and this is going to be sort of an overarching recommendation is we want to get our proposals to a place that we can get them done in 15 minutes 30 minutes at the absolute maximum okay so the only way that from what you're describing right now that we're going to be able to accomplish that is having a specific list of integrations yes. that we utilize and that we have right? And that anything outside of that, we either decide we are going to do this particular proposal bespoke because we really like the client and we think it's going to help elevate our authority or our brand and being able to attract more clients in the future. Sure. But if not, you need to choose how you want to spend your time. Do I want to spend my time spending four hours preparing this proposal or should I spend those four hours generating and bringing in a client that's a better suited fit to the way that we operate? Because there's more than just the proposal time that goes into it. There's the learning lessons for the developers, how it actually fully integrates. It's going to cause more resourcing problems for you internally. And quite frankly, more risk for you as well, because it's not something that you directly know. It could break 
three months down the line and it was working when you first tested it, but it stops working. And then bringing up one of these ad hoc projects in the middle of another project that you have going on that now you have to solve for a client and sometimes even for free because the client's not happy about it and it needs to be fixed and their website's not working. So my recommendation would be is make a list of what integrations and it'll take you some time to go through, hey, here's the list of integrations that we work with. Everything outside of that, I'm sorry, but we just don't build that. And it would have to be something that we would have to have a separate either developer work on specifically you internally, and you can talk with our developers about mm-hmm. how to integrate, but we're not going to build that custom integration for you. And, and I guess it, even at the proposal stage, you know, if they do request that, something that we wouldn't do as standard, I guess we could just take that to one side and say, we'll deal with that separately. That's not part of this proposal. This is a separate thing that you could look at either externally or with a, a partner. Or as you said, we could scope that once we've got the project and once we've got the job, we've got maybe that time involved. Yeah. And you could also charge for that as well. Should you want to go that route? Yeah. It's, hey, in the we're going to charge you a thousand pound, twenty five hundred pound to actually go through figuring out exactly what it's going to look like to build out this integration that you're looking for. Yeah. And then to have the time so that you're not spending a full day of not generating revenue for your agency, but actually utilizing that time to generate some mm. and get paid for that time. Not on spec. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, it's easy for those kind of proposal requests and proposals, I guess, to almost become a, a project in themselves. Well, you're spending so much time scoping and you're going down a rabbit hole, aren't you, with looking into that external system APIs and, and code and, and trying to work out how is this going to be easy or hard? Is this going to be? <laughs> it's a minefield and yeah, we often get a bit caught up on that stage. And with, then we take a big risk where we actually say, OK, it's going to be X to do that. 100%. I mean, me sort of growing up in the more traditional type full service agency space and being in the RFP world, and mind you, not as intricate as what you're talking about with the integrations. And quite frankly, this development stuff is a bit over my head. You know that much better than I do. But with these large RFPs doing tons of art on spec and having to go into every single proposal being completely bespoke. And I mean, at some points in my first agency I ever worked at, we were spending anywhere between forty to sometimes $75,000 worth of internal resources for one single RFP. And it's just not sustainable to do that and just making some adjustments on how we go about doing that. And I help that agency do that as well. But it's just you can't do it that way. It has to be more tailored, templatized and how you actually go about doing things so that you're not taking that gamble with every single proposal that you're putting together. Yeah. And how would you tend to approach or, or think about RFPs that you would receive that don't follow that? You know, they come up with their own list of bespoke specs. Yeah. How, how would you suggest we approach something like that? Yeah, I'm not a fan of RFPs and many agency owners listening may want to chop my head off for saying this, but quite frankly, the majority of the time I say don't respond, right? Just say thank you, but no thank you. That's not how we work. And should they want to have a conversation actually working within the sales process about how you work, then you can have that conversation. For you specifically, I think it might be a little bit different because they're probably wanting to be a bit more technical by the route that they're going for their site. But in, in general, broad terms for RFPs, the vast majority of the time it's to price out for an incumbent and get a cheaper price. For you, if the RFP is more just like technical information about what we actually need to do, but you need to have a conversation with the decision makers, not just a blind proposal that's being sent in, because then it's just about price. It's not about a partnership. It's not about a long-term relationship. It's just you're 100% making the decision based on price. 
And mm-hmm. quite frankly, I don't think that that's the best business model to be in. And I would avoid it if I could. We find that our kind of win rate on RFPs is very low compared to all of the other clients we deal <laughs> with who we've got relationships with or referred to us and, and we have conversations with. It's through my own experience, I've got to the point where I, I, I groan when I see one and I think, is it, is it even worth my time? Is it even worth half an hour? I don't know. <laughs> I can guarantee you you're not the only one <laughs> that groans when they get one. That's 100% what happens across the board. And quite frankly, what's interesting too is that a lot of times the agency that actually ends up winning the business, assuming that there wasn't an incumbent involved, is the one that actually says, you know, hey, we need to have a conversation and actually goes outside. So there's so much that happens and like, we don't want you to include this information in the RFP. We only want you to do this. And the agencies that go outside what the RFP parameters are and actually require certain conversations and certain meetings actually are the ones that end up winning the business. So actually pushing against it is actually better for you and it will increase the likelihood of you being able to win and holding to your sales process and the way that you communicate with clients. But I mean, let's face it, there's a human being on the other end and people buy from people. People don't buy from a PDF that you're sending to them to review a proposal. They want to buy from a person and procurement wants to try to remove that emotional connection. And that's the whole point of the RFP is remove that emotional connection. But we need to stop trying to remove that piece of one to one human connection. And I mean, in the digital world, we lose it in so many pieces. And I think it's important that we recognize it's necessary in any partnership that's developing and you should be auditioning your clients as much as they are auditioning you yeah yeah it's kind of setting the whole project up for a bit of a fail isn't it if you're starting on that rfp slash price calculation <laughs> you know school board 100 yeah 100 well thank you so much for chatting with me today and sharing and going through this process with everyone so that everyone can also learn from your situation and i hope it was very helpful for you yeah no problem no pleasure yeah no it's really helpful thank you Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. Now, chances are, if you're an agency owner listening to this podcast right now, then you may be feeling like this. Because I was finding myself constantly overworked within our business, um, constantly like too busy with fulfillment or too busy with uh, customer service needs. So I didn't have the time to go think about how am I going to close this person or what I'm going to say to this person or what am I going to do with this or what's the next strategy I need to do. Now, of course, this podcast is here to help you with a lot of things, but at one episode per week, it's going to take a while for us to share everything you need specifically for your situation. So if you're really serious about committing to fixing the problems in your agency now, so you can build a truly profitable business and get your life back, then I want to invite you to apply for the Agency Accelerator Program. I'm not so stressed during calls thinking, oh my gosh, I got, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell because if I don't sell, I don't make our I don't make our numbers, you know, and if I don't make our numbers, I can't pay our people. If I can't pay our people, then our business is down. This program is designed to help creative agency owners get to 1 million in revenue per year in 12 months or less. I char- typically charge one client a $3,000, anywhere from 2000 to 3000 Now I'm uh, moving towards only 5000 and up. And my latest client that I closed is a $10,000 client on a monthly retainer. We only accept about 20% of the agencies that apply to this program because we want to make sure that we only work with people who will commit the time, energy, and resources required to take what they learn in the program and use it to create an agency of their dreams. You've taught me and you've taught us how to build this within our company that if X happens, 
this happens, boom, 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 boom. Like it's so systematic that it's gonna work for itself. That has given me the sense of like, oh, I know what the heck I'm talking about. I know what I'm good at. I know that I can deliver upon what I want to deliver. And it, yeah, I gained hell of a lot of confidence for sure. So if that's you, then I want to invite you to apply today. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply for the Agency Accelerator program or go to creativeagencysuccess.com forward slash apply. Thanks, and I'll see you inside the program. Mm-hmm.